chapel, this local expression of the Bride of Christ, to be a radical community. And I would encourage you at some point, take the opportunity to to read in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4, and there you can read verses about the early church, and really they exemplify for us what it meant to be a radical community, a group of people who had come to repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, been indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and lived their lives in such a way that they gave clear representation that they were followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. As you read their life and their story, you soon realize they truly were all for Christ. Uh, Their vision is our vision, and that we as a congregation would be all for Christ. We're not there yet, but we believe that's what God wants us to be. And so this series has helped us in various aspects as we consider what it means to be a true, passionate follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this morning, we're going to talk about a radical community But that requires all of us to be a part of radical generosity. Priorities, we all have them. I'm sure each of us this morning could very quickly come up with a list of things that we consider to be priorities in our everyday life. And what does a person's priorities cause them to do? Well, what do you do? You put time and energy and resources into those priorities. You tend to lay aside other things, even good things, in order to stay focused on those priorities. Why is it important for us, especially as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, to set down some priorities for our lives and our relationship with the Lord? Well, I jotted down three things. There could be many others. Number one, it's important to set priorities because it helps us get things accomplished. There's many things that can come into our lives from day to day that can distract us from the things that we would consider to be priority things in our relationship with the Lord. When I was uh, preaching on a regular basis in a church, you would find me Monday through Thursday mornings, usually from about 8, 8.30 until noon in my study. And the only way I would be interrupted if there was some kind of an emergency because that to me was a priority time, the kind of time that is needed for any pastor. And it's very evident in our church, those who preach from here from the front, they put time and energy into preparing to preach the truth of God's word. That was a priority for me. So priorities help us get things accomplished. I've discovered if we don't set priorities, someone else or something else will end up setting the priorities for us. And then setting priorities keeps us focused on what's most important. In Matthew 6, verses 19 to 24, and I invite you to turn there in your Bibles with me this morning. This will be the main passage that we will be preaching from today. And in Matthew 6, 19 to 24, Jesus teaches us a lesson regarding an important priority for those who are followers of Jesus. Matthew 5 through 7, we know it's, we commonly call it the Sermon on the Mount. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus addresses important aspects of our lives as followers of Jesus. That if we are truly citizens of God's kingdom, and the moment we came to repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we set aside our earthly citizenship, and as Paul says, we became citizens of God's kingdom, We are here on earth, but we live out that relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ while we are still here. And so this is an important lesson as part of the Sermon on the Mount regarding what it really means to practice radical generosity. As we seek to live counter 
cultural lives, different from the rest of the world, what we do with the money that God has entrusted to us speaks volumes about our priorities. Now, if you're here this morning and you're a guest, you're here for the first time today, or maybe you're newer to Wallenstein Bible Chapel, uh, you might think, oh, they're talking about money. (laughs) And honestly, in the time that we've been here, just over a year and a half, I think I've heard one message related to money in that time period. And you know what? Jesus talked more about money than any other topic during his time as he invested in his disciples. The Old Testament speaks volumes about the money that God has entrusted to us. The New Testament in the epistles talks volumes to us about the money that God has entrusted to us. And again, Jesus put so much emphasis because he knew as kingdom citizens, if we are truly going to live out a right relationship and a real relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, we need to be those people who practice radical generosity. So again, if you're here today and you're newer to the church, please realize this is not something we talk about all the time. But whatever you hear this morning and whatever God has for you related to Wallenstein Bible Chapel in your future, whether short-term or long-term, what we speak of this morning and what Jesus teaches us is so relevant to all of us, no matter where we go to church on a regular basis. Because it's relevant to our personal lives and it's relevant to our own immediate families. So fasten your seatbelt, put your tray tables and seat backs in the upright position. There might be a little turbulence. Unfortunately, there's no oxygen mass that drops down, so if you're having a hard time breathing, I can't help you with that this morning. But let's ask God, the Holy Spirit, just to soften our hearts and open the eyes of our hearts as Paul prayed for the church of Ephesus to listen to what God, the Holy Spirit, desires to say to us this morning. And so as God has allowed me what I consider over many years the privilege of uh, preaching and teaching from the word of God and, and shepherding in different church families, let's discover together what Jesus is teaching about the money that he has blessed us with. And then in conclusion, we'll make some practical and pertinent application to our congregation at Wallenstein Bible Chapel. Because you see, I know in our home, and I imagine in your home, finances are what? They're a family concern. And in God's church... Because we are called what? One of the beautiful metaphors, we are the family of God here at WBC. Then finances are a family concern. That's why we received an update this morning. Because we're all a part of this together. So turn with me, Matthew 6. Let me pick up in verse 19. Jesus says this. Do not store up treasures for yourselves on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Three things that Jesus wants us to learn here this morning in regards to the priority of the resources that he's blessed us with. Three money priorities 
that we need to focus on as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Number one, Jesus teaches us in verses 19 to 21, we must focus on one treasure. The word store up, do you see that there in verse 19? Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. The word store up and treasures there in verse 19 both come from the same basic Greek word, thesauros. Any idea what English word we might get from that Greek word, thesauros? Well, you remember using probably these in school, a thesaurus. What is a thesaurus? It's a treasury of words. So a literal translation here of, of Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 in the first part could be this. Do not treasure up treasures for yourselves on earth. It pictures stockpiling or hoarding money or other wealth in order to impress others or just to use it for self-indulgence. The key words, I believe, right here in this verse is where he says, for yourselves. Now, that does not mean Jesus is not saying, don't plan for the future. Don't put money away for retirement. We need to do that. That's important. That's, there's wisdom in planning for the future. But even in that, realizing whatever I have in my retirement, and by the way, there's no retirement in God's economy. We may not at some point arrive at the place where we're not doing our, our regular full-time job, but there's always opportunities and Retirees often have more time and sometimes have the health and strength to be able to serve God, maybe in a way that they couldn't serve God previously. And often there's also some with more financial resources because they've been wise with their investments. But using all that we have, we can store up, but not for ourselves. Also understand here, Jesus is not advocating poverty. Only once in all of his teaching ministry did he tell a person to sell all their possessions and give their money to the poor? Now, he certainly encouraged us to care for the poor. He said, the poor you will always have amongst you. There's reasons for that. But only once did he tell one person to sell all their possessions and give the money to the poor. In that specific case, Jesus knew the rich young ruler's wealth was a barrier for himself and putting God first as Lord of his life. That was a barrier for him to, to come to true repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, Jesus knew his heart, just like he knows our hearts today. See, what Jesus is talking about here is our attitude towards the material blessings that God has given to us. Everything you and I have is from God. Out in the back corner of the parking lot is a 2011 Kia Soul. <laughs> That was given to us by God, entrusted to us by God. He provided the ability to, to earn the income to be able to purchase that vehicle, and, and he provides the financial means to, to keep it on the road. The houses we have lived in, they were been entrusted to us by God. We get to enjoy them, just like we get to enjoy that vehicle. But everything is to be used for God. Everything entrusted to us. That's a bigger topic for another time, but it really speaks to us of what the Bible talks to us about stewardship, using our time, our talent, and our treasure for the glory of God. But when our possessions and our money are hoarded or stockpiled for ourselves, they hinder us spiritually. And our possessions and money, as Jesus says here very clearly, 
are subject to loss on earth. What did he say in verse 19? Do not store up treasures for yourself on earth, where what? Moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal. There in verse 19, he talks about uh, our wealth being destroyed by moths. Now, it's important for us to, to go back to the context of that particular time and the group of people to whom Jesus was speaking. In ancient times, handmade garments represented a considerable investment of finances, not like our mass-produced clothing today. Wealthy people would often have golden threads woven into their clothing to publicly display their wealth. They wanted to know people to know just how wealthy they were. And the more of those golden threads that were woven into their clothing meant they were wealthier than someone else. And the best clothes were made of wool, which moths love to eat. Uh, no mothballs back in that day to protect their clothing. Our wealth can be eaten away at any time. If you have money in the markets, you understand what happens sometimes in economic downturns. And it can happen to any of us. All you have to do is go back to the Old Testament and look at a man named Job who in one day basically lost all of the wealth that God had blessed him with. Just like that, it was gone. He goes on to say in verse 19, not only where moths destroy, but vermin destroys. Uh, what some of your translations might use the word where rust destroys. And the word there, whether translated vermin or rust, it literally means to eat. We know rust can eat away at our vehicles. Uh, and wealth back then was, again, in ancient times, in the context, was held in stockpiles of grain. And grain, what, can be eaten by mice and insects and worms and rats. Our investments can be eaten away, as many people see today. And again, just realizing that everything we have ultimately has been given to us by God. And what did Job say? The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Verse 19, he goes on to say uh, what also can happen with our treasures when we treasure up treasures for ourselves is that's where thieves can break in and they can steal. In ancient times, people often did two things with their wealth. They didn't have the banks to go to like we do and uh, have guaranteed, you know, insured investments in the bank. But in ancient times, they would hide their valuables, not just money, but other valuables in the mud walls of their home. They would dig out a portion of, of the wall, and that's where they would put it and then put it back. Hopefully, they don't forget where they put it. Others would actually bury money out in their fields. And hopefully, they're safe there. And again, they can go back and get them. Interesting, uh, Jesus talks about the parable of the hidden treasure. What does he say? The kingdom of heaven in Matthew 13, 44 is like a what? A treasure hidden in the field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy, he went and sold all he had, and he bought the fields. Again, that's where they would hide their valuables, non-perishable valuables, away from their house. To break in here, where, uh, in my translation says, where thieves break in and steal, it literally means to dig through. Whether a thief coming into the home and starting to dig through the, the mud walls to, to find treasure that might have been placed in those walls, or to dig out in the field where a treasure might have been buried, the thief can dig through. If we're honest this morning, because nothing we have is completely safe from destruction or loss or theft, we must use our possessions and our financial resources 
to serve others and further God's work here on earth while we can, while we have opportunity. I love the story of Mary anointing Jesus. And uh, there's three points there that came to me very clear years ago when I heard someone preach on that passage. Mary gave what she could. It's what she had available. It's a resource that God had blessed her with, that expensive perfume. She gave all that she could. She didn't have to do that. But God impressed upon her heart to pour all of it on Jesus. And then lastly, she did it when she could, while Jesus was still with her. And you know, that challenges us to consider all that God has blessed us with, to use it now while we have the opportunity for the glory of God. You see, in that way, what do we do? What did Jesus say? Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break and steal. See, by doing so, we build up heavenly treasures for ourselves that are safe and secure. Personally, I think one of the greatest treasures for all of us is when we get to heaven and we realize because of what we've done with our time, our talent, and our treasures, there are people who came to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. I'm only here today because people in churches gave resource to the church so the church could pay to run buses every Sunday to bring kids to Sunday school. That just didn't happen. Sure, they gave their time, they gave their talents to be able to do that, but they also gave of their money so that hundreds of kids could come to Sunday school every Sunday morning and hear about the good news of the gospel. And I'm thankful for those people who gave. And I think that'll be probably one of our greatest treasures in heaven. That's really what matters, eternal souls saved from the fire of hell. Verse 21, Jesus makes it, what, an issue of the heart. He always does. In all of his teaching, it's to get to our hearts. And if the heart has to be right first, if it is, everything else in our lives as followers of Jesus falls into a proper priority. Jesus is not saying here, listen carefully, Jesus is not saying that if we put our treasure in the right place, our heart will automatically be in the right place. What he is saying is that where we put our treasure indicates where our heart already is. Let me repeat that. Jesus is not saying that if we put our treasure in the right place, our heart will automatically be in the right place. What he is saying is that where we put our treasure indicates where our heart already is. One thing as Andreas was sharing that financial update and you obviously, you just the big picture, you don't see the breakdown of the budget. One thing I asked for when we first started attending here because it's something important to us is, is to have a look at the budget and to see the priorities that the church sets down for using the resources that God is bringing into this church. And I appreciate, and it shows clearly the, the finance committee and the elders and their priorities in ministry. Did you know of that almost $1 million budget, 25% goes to support local and global missionaries. To me, that is absolutely wonderful. That is rare in a lot of churches. But again, that just spoke to us of what I would consider to be the right priorities in using what God is blessing the church with for the glory of God. Number one, 
we're going to practice radical, radical generosity, we must be focused on one treasure. Everything, every dollar that God has entrusted to us used for the glory of God. Number two, not only focus on one treasure, we must focus on one vision. We see that in verses 22 and 23. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Back in 2008, I went to get my eyes checked, and uh, I wasn't seeing quite as clearly as I was before. At that point, I was age 47, and I went from single vision lenses, and many of you have joined me on this journey, I had to go to progressive lenses. So I could see clearly at a distance and see clearly up close. And it took some adjustment, but they helped me to see clearly. Vision is so important, clear vision. These two verses just pick up on what Jesus has already emphasized for us uh, there in verse 21 about the heart. Jesus uses the eye, our vision, as an illustration of the heart. We know that our eyes are the, the only source of light that we possess, and therefore it's our only means of vision. In many ways, our hearts is the eye of our souls through which we receive spiritual vision from the Lord. The word good or healthy in verse 22, it means clear or single. It speaks to us of a, of a clear or a very focused devotion in our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. When the Jews heard that word, they would also think of, of the word generous. That having this single vision and single devotion to the Lord means that they would be generous. And when we have that single focus, our whole spiritual life is flooded with light and spiritual understanding. But if our hearts and our lives are encumbered with, with material possessions and money concerns, then our spiritual vision is blinded. That was the rich young ruler. He had scales on his eyes, and his money was causing him to lose sight of what was really important. The word translated bad or unhealthy in verse 23 uh, means evil. You've probably heard the phrase over the years, uh, the phrase evil eye, and Proverbs 22 verse 8 says this, a man with an evil eye, what does he do? He hastens after wealth. The Jews understood evil eye to mean stingy or selfish. So Proverbs 22 verse 8 could be translated, the man who is stingy or selfish hastens after wealth. In other words, he is spiritually blind and he doesn't even know it. He thinks he has spiritual light within him, but because of self-deception, the darkness is even greater. My vision in my personal life, my vision is focused on God and his church. The church is the only hope for the world. So we are the only salt, the only light, the only hope for a lost Sinners who are headed for eternity in what the Bible clearly calls hell. So therefore, because of that priority and focus of my vision and I would say our vision between my wife and myself, we give to God's church because the church is the only hope for the lost world. What we choose to do, and again, I just encourage you, 
to wrestle this through in your own personal life and if you're married with your spouse and if your kids are a little bit older even involve your children and certainly involve your teenagers or young adults in your home and in some of this discussion in your own home but what we have chosen to do we were already doing it before we were married but we chose that we would right off the top take 10% of our income and give it to the Lord's work now again you can argue well is that tithing from the Old Testament we're under the new covenant in the New Testament uh, if you want to argue tithing, most scholars would believe that the Old Testament tithe that you read about in Malachi chapter 3, it probably worked out to between 23 and 28% of their income or their resources once they brought everything by way of sacrifice to the, the local storehouse, the temple, to the Lord's work. And I believe as well the first priority should be the local storehouse, and that's the local church. Is there opportunity to, to give outside of Wallenstein Bible Chapel to wonderful ministries? Absolutely. That's where I know what we do is we, as these uh, projects come along from various organizations and opportunities, then we discuss what, what might we want to do? What might God want us to do in order to help some of those extra things? And again, I'm not so concerned about the amount here, Okay. I think you've got to wrestle that through. And even the passage that was read for us earlier from 2 Corinthians chapter 9 talked about, you know, determining in your own heart what to give. So you've got to spend time before the Lord and wrestle that through. But if you've never given to the Lord's work, just start. I know people said to us when we, you know, we'd share that early on. Again, please understand that's not in a proud way. It's, it's example. It's not boastful at all. That's what we believe God's impressed upon our hearts. How can you live off 90% of your income? Do you know what I can tell you today? That we have never gone short of anything. Have there been times where it's been tight and you kind of think, boy, this month it would be good to keep that 10%? <laughs> but you know what? We've never gone short of anything. And we can never outgive God. And I love what it says in Malachi. What does he say there? He says, test me in this, God says. He actually challenges the Jewish people and saying, you are actually robbing me because you're not bringing the tithe, all the tithe into the local storehouse. You are actually robbing me. Let that challenge your heart this morning. How does that sit with you personally as you think about what you do or what you don't do in giving to the Lord? And you might say here today and say, you don't know our finances. I would say, number one, if you don't have a budget, take some time to set out a budget and prioritize in that budget some giving to the Lord's work and see what God does. I hear, you heard years ago about a, a large church in the United States. They encouraged people for 12 months and they, they set 10%. Again, it's not the amount, but they decide, give 10% of your income. If you've ever done that before, just do it. And then they made a promise. If at the end of the year you're short, we will give you your money back. Now, nobody asked for their money back. <laughs> But you know what? People discovered the great joy that was theirs and when they saw God provide in ways they could never ask or imagine. Let me share just three quick examples. Did a funeral a couple years ago for a gentleman that uh, we had known him and his wife since the year 2000. They were good friends. He was an older gentleman struggling with health and he passed away. I got to preach at his funeral, but one of his sons-in-law shared uh, some words of testimony about his father-in-law. And he said, he is the only man I've ever met 
who gave more than what the Canada Revenue Agency allows a person to claim on their annual income taxes. Do you know how much you're permitted to claim for charitable donations? It's up to 75% of your pre-tax income. He and his wife gave more than 75% of their pre-tax income. Now, God had blessed them over the years. They had done well. That's the perspective of someone who had wealth and giving it for the glory of God. And they lived off maybe 20, 22% of their income. Now, they're obviously wise and good stewards, but God blessed that. My mother-in-law is one of the most, was one of the most generous people I've ever, ever met. And she'd be the opposite of this gentleman. There was poverty in that home growing up. But in the midst of that poverty, she was the most generous person. And she gave out, both she and her husband, out of their poverty, and they blessed the church of God. When we bought our first house in 1987, and we had one income, and we decided if we can't do it on one income, we won't buy the house, and God provided for us. Uh, Now, again, it's very relative. It was only $80,000. But for us, that was huge back in 1987. And through some generous people in the local church we were serving at, they helped people buy homes. And so that allowed us to take what we had, what they loaned us, and then get a mortgage for 75%. There was no insured mortgages back then. And so we were able to buy this home, which blew us away. As we drove back, we hadn't moved to that city yet. As we drove back home, uh, Veronica said, what have we done? (laughs) And I don't think she slept that night. But we were able to purchase that home, and uh, like many of our homes, it was one of those homes that needs a lot of love. And uh, so we put a lot of time and energy into that home and started fixing it up with the resources that we had, and they were very limited. And again, we, we were committed to giving that first portion to the Lord's work, no matter what. And so some months were extremely tight. And we were about two years into fixing that home, and we were working on the final bedroom. There was four bedrooms upstairs in that house, and we were working on that final bedroom. I ripped out the old shag carpeting, uh, beautiful shag carpeting, and I cut it all up and got it out for the garbage. And then, of course, there's the underpad. So I started ripping out the underpad, and in the very center of the room, there was an envelope just like this one, dead center in the room. It had been obviously put there before the wall-to-wall carpeting went in. So I eagerly opened the envelope, and guess what was inside? Another envelope, just like this one. And I opened that envelope, and guess what was inside? It's not in here today, but there was 1050s and 1000s, $1,500. And we just looked at that and said, thank you, Lord. (laughs) That house was costing us a mint to heat. It had old, beautiful wood windows, and they looked great, and we had finished them inside and out and made them look beautiful, but no matter how beautiful you made them, the heat still was pouring outside those windows. And so we were paying a bundle for natural gas, a big old furnace. So we were able to buy two storm doors, aluminum storm doors, and nine aluminum storm windows with that money that God provided. And then we had a little weekend away together as well. That's our God. And again, when you put God first, watch what he will do. What does God say? Test me in this. You can never outgive God. And what does God promise to us in Philippians 4, verse 19? My God shall do what? Supply all of your needs, not all your wants, (laughs) all of your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus.
When we sold that house, I guarantee you, we looked everywhere, just in case. (laughs) So if you want to, go home and rip up your carpets and see what God might have put there for you. The bills were actually, this was 1989, by the time we got to that room, the bills were dated 1972, and they looked like they'd never been in circulation. They'd just come straight from the bank, and a previous owner, obviously, for whatever reason, you know, normally you'd think you put it under the edge, put it dead center in the room. Maybe there was some superstition involved in that or whatever, or good luck. Anyways, God left that money there for us, and we were so grateful. Number one, we must have one treasure. We must have one vision, the vision that God has for us, because we want our eyes to be healthy so that our, our whole body is full of light, that we are known to be generous people. Number three, we must focus on one master. Verse 24, no one, that's all of us, can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Two treasures, earthly or heavenly, two spiritual conditions, light or darkness, two masters or two slave owners would be a better translation because a slave owner has total control of the slave. No such thing as a part-time or a a partial slave back in those days. A slave owes full-time service to a full-time master. We can no more serve two masters at the same time than we can walk in two directions at the same time. Jesus says our master, the one who controls our lives today, is either God or it's our money. There's no other choice. It's going to be one or the other. True followers of Jesus allow God to be their master. That means as a slave to God, we surrender our attitudes, we surrender our actions, we surrender our abilities, we surrender our acquisitions, and I apologize, I couldn't find another A, we surrender our money to the hands of God. Interesting, the context of the whole chapter in Matthew 6, earlier on, it talks about your acts of righteousness, your giving to the needy, your prayer, your fasting. Then he talks about this aspect of, of laying up treasures in heaven. And then what does he go on in verse 25 to the end of the chapter? Do not worry. If you make God your master, guess what? You have nothing to worry about. Don't worry about what you will wear, what you will eat, what you will drink. God's got it all. He's going to look after every aspect of your lives. Do not worry about those things when God is your master. I encourage you to jot down 1 Timothy 6, verses 6 to 10. There it talks about the love of money. Not money, but the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil when we are those who treasure up for ourselves those treasures on earth. And then in 2 Corinthians 8, 1 to 15, again, read those verses. There it talks about, Paul challenges them to excel in the grace of giving. Like, go beyond anything you could ever imagine. Excel in the grace of giving. And then he says, give according to your means. We all have different means. We all have different abilities as to what we can give to the Lord's work. You know that personally. No one else has to know that. But God knows what your means are. And he knows what our means are. And then he would challenge us to give according to our means. And so I would encourage you today, if you've never given to the Lord's work, you need to start doing it. Make God your master, not your money. Or maybe you can consider what your means are and say, 
could we increase our giving to the Lord's work? Again, first to the local storehouse, and then as you have opportunity and means, give to other excellent ministries that are proclaiming the good news of the gospel. Do your homework, and then give to those opportunities. Sit down again as an individual or as in your own family and evaluate what you are doing. Involve your kids and your teenagers and your young adults, and then ask God the Holy Spirit to direct you in what you give. We must focus on one treasure, on one vision, and one master. Three priorities for us as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ if we are going to be a radical community that practices radical generosity. Very quickly as we wrap up, five pertinent, practical, and I would say personal application. Number one, Wallenstein Bible Chapel is a growing church. Aren't you glad for that this morning? You probably look around, and if you've been here for years, you'd probably say, I don't know half of these people. That's okay. By the way, if you don't know someone, go and introduce yourself. And if they say, I've already been here for four years, just say, I haven't had the privilege of meeting you yet. It's okay. Don't be embarrassed. God's bringing us wonderful people. Andrea shared some of that, the growth in our church. And I know from our experience of serving in various churches and different ministries, finances are needed to support a growing church. And to see this vision fulfilled and to see this mission accomplished so the vision can be fulfilled, more giving to support the ministry is required. That's just the way it is. That's reality. That's why we expanded the parking lot. <laughs> that costs money. Thank you for giving that. <laughs> but that's something that was needed to accommodate more people in our parking lot. That's just one area. Number two, and this to me excites me, God is at work at Wallenstein Bible Chapel. Two primary evidences. Number one, people are coming to know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. What does that do for you this morning? Pardon me? Amen. That's the greatest thing we can be doing, is seeing it, being a part of what God is doing, and we get to share in that, and some of us get the joy of even sitting down with people and praying with them when they come to repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus. What a great privilege. And not only top of that, the salvation, but also baptisms. Did you know that from January 1st till October 31st, 24 individuals have given a public testimony of their faith in the baptism tank, not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And by the way, of those 24, 20 of them are under the age of 30. What an incredible example to the rest of us. And I know I said it last week, but I'm going to say it again because it is so important when you consider God being number one in your life. If you've never been baptized, no matter how many years you've been a follower of Jesus, it's simple obedience to the truth of God's word. You need to get that done as soon as possible. Because why? Don't you want God's blessing upon your life? God blesses obedience. Other things I just jotted down quickly, Brock Martin serving in Central America as a young adult, giving 10 months, I believe, of his life to just go and serve the Lord. Uh, others who are sensing God's call, more in small groups uh, to grow in their walk with Jesus than ever before. The same with the launch of the, the Tuesday night school of discipleship that Shannon and Pastor Gary are giving leadership to. What a wonderful opportunity to, to really know what it means to follow after Jesus. More involved in serving and God entrusting our church with more newcomers week after week after week. Number three, we all face uncertain economic times. Doesn't matter who we are. 
We all have unexpected costs that become necessary. Uh, Inflation certainly right now is impacting every single individual and family. Some are wrestling with higher interest rates. If you got a variable mortgage, (laughs) I know some people are paying a whole lot more for their mortgage right now as a result of that. that. That's tough. And some will be renewing their mortgage in the next few years and are gonna have to come up with more funds to do that. Yet challenging times, whether in our lives personally or in the life of God's church, open doors for God to work in our families and in our church family. Being in ministry for a number of years, we've been with churches through those, some of those tough economic times, high interest rates and, and times of inflation. Uh, you'll remember 2008, right? If you had anything put away in your uh, investments for the future, for retirement, they were hugely impacted way back in 2008. Uh, impacted so many people. Yet we were part of a church at that point where in that four-year period and started in 2007 through, through 2010, we saw a church with their giving, even through that tough economic times, went from 3,500 per Sunday to almost 8,000 per week. Why did that happen? Well, God was bringing us new people who understood what it meant to give to the Lord. But that church was averaging one person a week was coming to repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. 52 new believers every year. Lots of baptisms, as you can imagine. And you know what? People got excited about what God was doing. And they realized as the church was growing and more resources were needed to finance that growth, then people gave. And it was just amazing to watch. And that was during a tough economic time. See, the tough times is a time for the church to shine. The people in the book of Acts, in Acts 2 and Acts chapter 4, they are going through tough times. Talk about persecuted church. (laughs) And many of those people, when they came to repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, they were disowned by their families. They lost inheritance. It was removed from them. They, they had to flee, many of them, to different parts of the world, known world of that day because of the intense persecution. But that was a time for the church to shine, and it says this, there was no needy persons among them. They sold possessions. They sold land. They brought the resources and laid them at the apostles' feet. They brought them to what in that day was the local storehouse, and it was used to meet needs within the family of God. What a reputation to the lost world when God's people are generous. Number four, God does not call us to equal gifts, but to equal sacrifice. Again, go back in 2 Corinthians 8, give according to your means. You decide. Ask God the Holy Spirit to direct you. Every follower of Jesus needs to give to the Lord's work. There's a great little study, and Pastor Gary has my little book right now, and there's a study guide that goes with it, written by Randy Elkhorn. It's called The Treasure Principle. And it just really cements home in this little read and through the study guide what it means to really bless the work of God through what he has already blessed us with and giving it back to the Lord. Number five, God calls us to be generous. That came through very clearly in the passage that Dave read for us. Again, we can never outgive God. And it says in there that, that God loves what? A cheerful giver. A literal translation from Greek to English would be God loves a hilarious giver. We should just be so excited and thankful for the opportunity that God is giving to us to bless his church and to bless the work of the gospel locally and around the world. Uh, 
bring great joy. Do you know why it brings me great joy? It's because of what God's already done for me. You see, the people in Malachi's day, they lived before the cross, some 400 years before the cross. From the end of the book of Malachi to Jesus appearing on the scene uh, is about 400 years. And so God says, give back then. But you and I today, we're on the other side of the cross. We know what Jesus has done for us. And when I think about what Jesus has done for me, I think of Jesus' words, to him who much has been given, much is required. And one day there will be an accounting. Individually, we are all going to stand before God and we're going to give an account of what we have done with all that God has blessed us with, including our money. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. Father, I know personally, and I'm sure for many others, sometimes to hear the truth, it challenges our hearts, it causes some turmoil and some upset. And yet, Lord, you are so clear in your teaching when it relates to either you are our master or the money that you've already blessed us with becomes our master. So, Father, help us to surrender, to say, Lord, it's all yours. You've entrusted it to me, and I want to use it for the glory of God so that many others might come to know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, that we might together impact so many lives as we help people find Jesus and then we help them grow in their faith so they can truly follow after Jesus. Thank you, Father, for this time. We love you. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.